Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time. Kind of a potpourri episode of Longhorn Blitz this week. Several topics I want to get to, so let's not waste any time and get right to it. First off, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for enjoying this week's presentation and supporting everything we've got going on here on Longhorn Blitz. Over a decade strong, and that's all thanks to you, the listener, for making that happen and supporting this podcast. Anywhere you get your podcasts, search Horns 24-7. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review and get over to Horns 24-7 for all of your Longhorn recruiting, team news notes and nuggets. Everything you need is there at Horns 24-7. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty doing pretty well, man. How about you? Got everything cleaned off over there. I saw you working at it with the uh, the wet wipe over there, making yep, sure yep, your station is... Dusting everything off. I... Uh, ever since I got COVID, I want to make sure I'm not bringing it back in or possibly picking it up. That thing kicked my butt. Uh, a man who always uh, wipes down surfaces. He uh, is one of the cleanest people I've ever known in my life. Uh, he's a renaissance man. He wears many hats. 
for the Austin Radio Network, including co-hosting Ball Don't Lie from 3 to 7 with Mike Harge. But for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I appreciate the intro as always, brother. I do my best. Rod, I want to start uh, with you this week because, like I said, there's a lot of things I want to get into. There's so much stuff to get into. We won't talk about uh, any coaching moves or maneuvers because that's too timely, and I don't want anything to sound dated when we put this podcast out. Rod, I want to start. With you, because another one of your teammates, uh, Vince Young, has already gone into the College Football Hall of Fame. Mm. And Derek Johnson has just been elected to the College Football Hall of Fame. That went yeah, down last week. Uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> I mean, I've said this about Derek Johnson and Jerry Gray. Is pro- Jerry Gray or Johnny Johnson would be the only other person I would put in this discussion. Best defensive player in school history not named Tommy Nobis would probably be Derek Johnson. You can make that. I mean, you certainly can make the case for it. Uh, man, it, I mean, he won every damn award you could win and on his way out set all types of records for forced fumbles and interceptions for a linebacker or a defender. I, I'm with you. I, I, I could Honestly, I think he's in – I don't know if Kansas City has – like the Chiefs have a Hall of Fame, but I know he's the all-time leading tackler there. He might um, be in their ring of honor. I, I don't think. know exactly whatever they have. They 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 haven't honored him yet, but they will because yeah. he's the all time leading tackler. So that's going to happen at one point. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no surprise. It, it to me his you his career is so unique. At least the arc of it. I always said because he was a player that got all of his NFL accolades and achievements, the Pro Bowl, All Pro. Teams, those selections came for him later in his career. He was damn near 30, actually, I mm-hmm. believe, when he got his first Pro Bowl and All mm-hmm. Pro as a player. And strangely enough, I always said my theory as a football theorist was that once the NFL went from being a kind of you know phone booth league where football was played in a phone booth and everything was around the line of scrimmage to becoming a pace and space spread league where it started to look more like the Big 12, a spread baby like him, which thrived in the Big 12 because it still was a spread league even when he played it. It was just at the infancy of uh, the spread offense from the air raid and what he had done in the Big 12. But he conquered the Big 12 because he was a perfect linebacker to fit into uh, a spread pace and space league and defend it because he can go sideline to sideline. He was very instinctive, but he was comfortable in space. Like He didn't freak out having to drop in coverage or having to cover a a, a tight end or to cover a running back. Like That didn't freak him out because Actually, he was at an advantage because he was so fast, and he got into the NFL, and then they wanted to turn him into a linebacker that went in between the tackles mm-hmm. uh, and took – by the way, that's NFL football, so that's what he became. Um, and he, he actually told me he started to like that style of football, actually, because it, it, it started to become easier for him, too, because he just kind of transferred and transitioned his athleticism to be able to beat 
bigger bigger players, and he bulked up a little bit too. But he he was a natural spread baby. So when the NFL became more like the Big Twelve in a spread league, he just thrived. He started yeah. to really blossom, and that's when he got all of his achievements and he made all of his wild plays. He started to be that guy that could do that tomahawk punch again because mm-hmm. he was out in space and he was chasing down running backs, chasing down tight ends and receivers. And people were like, "Damn, Derek Johnson is fast and athletic." Well, you should have saw him when he was twenty three. He by the time he was like twenty eight <laughs> years old yeah. when he had transition to being that type of player in the league but it, it really is it's an honestly if, if he had came into the nfl probably five years later we'd be having a discussion with him about another hall of fame potentially yeah because yeah, i remember at the time in the nfl it was like i think the post gunther cunningham time with the chiefs and it wasn't anything against cunningham it just was his fit inside the defense mm-hmm. and what they were defending and it was like yeah. once romeo Cornell had him and it was a little bit different of a fit because i remember them talking just about his fit within the defense and how he sort of was unlocked and it reminded you exactly like you're saying his time at Texas and his time at Texas was so meteoric because he sort of just showed up and was like the best playmaker on the defense like by then in freshman sophomore year it was like this guy is as good as any linebacker in the country and at that point when you looked at him not only did he mm-hmm. become a guy that had a trademark move at, on defense but like the folklore of Derek Johnson it was real weird that him and said B came out like that same season in of high school because said B was the offense guy that had the biggest folklore mm-hmm. and stories but in me just being you know a year younger than a guy like DJ and knowing some people that grew up with them and hearing the folklore of his stories growing up yeah, just playing basketball or just football like there were the stories the way you talk about what the young Vince Young was like in Houston, you know, just like on, you know, the playground or whatever. Yep. The same type of stories were stories you'd hear about Derek Johnson's athleticism. And then when he's at Texas, it's like, yeah, not only does he have a trademark move, he's immediately like the most impactful player you can find. And it's hard to be impactful on defense, especially in the Big 12 back then. That 0-1 defense that statistically, especially in the kind of the post-option era of football at Texas, uh, is statistically one of the best defenses in school history. Mm-hmm. Rod, he, he solved a problem for you guys because coming off that 2000 season where you lose Sean Rogers and Casey Hampton, mm-hmm. you have to be a little bit different on defense. You had a young Marcus Tubbs. Maurice Gordon played some solid reps. But there was a point in that season where you guys basically became like a four-linebacker defense because it was Tyrone Jones, Everett Ross, Dee mm-hmm. Lewis. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, we can't take any of these guys off the field to – the kid is just that good. He's got to have four linebackers on the field. No, he times. really did. I mean, you had to play him. Um, but they knew he was that good. Yeah. I mean, like, no, you're yeah. not saying they knew he was going to be that good coming out. I think he, strangely enough, it's rare. It's like LeBron James when there's a lot of hype on somebody mm-hmm. and they still exceed expectations. Yeah. That was yeah. Derek Johnson. Like, there was a lot of hype about him coming in because um, I hosted him on his recruiting visit and Mag broke it down to me about how good he was. I was like, yeah, we'll get him. But. I didn't expect him to be that good as a freshman. I mean, he was unbelievable. Was the MVP yeah. of that Holiday Bowl you guys won against Washington? Just a freak. I mean, honestly, I haven't seen anything really like him. On the no, since. no, he's the Nothing gold. Like that, he's the gold standard. <laughs> no. I remember hey, watching that side of the ball. A player yeah. that's that impactful make play. Like you don't like see that. players that are mm-hmm. that impactful defensively. Like there's a handful you can count them on a hand in on entire football seasons. Uh, you know, like Michael Parsons did it when he showed up at Dallas. Yeah, yeah, he just. I remember watching. The highlights of him in high school because I got the living in Florence. I got the Waco TV station, so you'd see Waco high highlights all the time. And I remember watching him, thinking, "Man, he he looks like what I envisioned, what I thought of like the Miami Florida Florida State linebackers. Like that's mm-hmm. what I thought of yeah. when I watched Derek Johnson. Guys that were like they 
they were kind of built like linebackers, but they ran like safeties. And then hearing that this guy could run, you know, low four fours in the forty, like I believed it because he played. I don't know if he really ran that, but he played that fast. And he's like yeah. the last player I remember that could look badass, and he wore one of them big old humps on the back oh yeah, of his neck, big, you know, like clean though. Yeah, Brian he Cox. did. No, he did it. He made it. He's work. the one only guys ever to do it. Anybody else? But it looked good on him. He I started with the, br- the Brian Cox <laughs> neck, co- the neck pad. Yeah, thing yeah with number eleven. And yeah, number eleven. That number should be a retired. Rod, you talked about this with jersey numbers. Like that eleven is very slimming. Makes you look sleeker. Yeah, I know it, it did on him. I mean, that's that's crazy. I, forget, I almost forget he had that neck pad. He's just he's so <laughs> damn fast, man. So, uh, friend of the show, uh, congratulations, Derek Johnson, for your election into the College Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, that is well uh, that is awesome. He'll be well enshrined deserved. later this year. And one more point about DJ Rod to your uh, point, uh, just in terms of how he was like a fine wine in the NFL, got better with age. Mm-hmm. Uh, the season that he turned 29 is when he made his first Pro Bowl and was a first-team All-Pro in yeah, 2011. Damn near 30 years old. I mean, his physical – I'm not saying that his physical skill still wasn't at, you know, a great elite level, but in terms of his uh, his timeline as mm-hmm. a player, he was on a decline with his athleticism. Yeah, if you look at running backs and linebackers. For an NFL player, that's old, especially for a linebacker. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. old, man. I mean, he's in his prime probably at from like 21 or 20 to about 25 mm. or 26. That's your prime after that. You start the natural decline because Father Time is undefeated. So that's why he's a, he obviously shows you his mental um, acumen and his, his football intelligence and football IQ yeah. because that was on a different level. But, man, if the NFL – because right around that time, it was that 2011, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about that, right? So Cam Newton comes into the league. That changes things because Cam Newton kind of took the, took the league by, like, surprise. Concussion when he came stuff in. started. And then you got your Colin Kaepernick, uh, RG3. RG3 gets drafted. You know, that, that area when Shano uh, up at Washington, and they all start running a lot of those zone Russell concepts. Yeah, exactly. And then, they, and then it starts to look more and more like the Big 12 because you mm-hmm. got more of a spread concept that are starting to take over the NFL. And right around that time, that's when he started looking around and going, and I recognize all of these concepts and these formations. This is old school stuff for me. Yeah. This is what I, I grew up my you know nature. I mean, in this. This is in my DNA, and that's when he started to thrive. So it, my theory is that if the league had already been like that when he got into the league, oh, dude, he'd, he'd have be a Hall of Famer. Freak. Uh, that's why. A, they probably would have been using him in all types of different ways, too, because he can run so well. He probably would have been basically what Fred Warner is right Yes, now. yeah. You could have turned him into that. And then, I mean, I know we brought it up and I did a whole episode on it, but uh, five years later for Vince Young, he still went 31 and 19. But, like, the NFL, if he had just been, say, a decade younger, it had been a lot different probably. There's a lot of freaky things about Derek Johnson, but maybe the most freaky thing is in 2014, he suffers an Achilles tear. At his age, that's probably the end of the line. Mm -hmm. But the next season, he turns 33 during the 2015 season. Makes the Pro Bowl and is a second-team All-Pro coming off of an Achilles tear. It's crazy. Yeah. And that season before that, I think it was, I guess, the second biggest comeback in playoff history. I remember him having a really big game that game against Andrew Luck and the Colts. So I just want to shout out Derek Johnson and Rod anytime mm-hmm. one of your former teammates does something hey, of uh, of note. It's worth it's worth shouting out to. Yeah, he's one of the greats. I I, I brag about hosting him on the visit. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. one of the ones Locked I keep, him up. I'll always brag about that for sure. Had to have him. You got him, no doubt. Thank God. And uh, one of the be- <laughs> one of the greatest Longhorn defenders uh, to ever put on 
that jersey. Uh, let's fast forward it, though. Talk about present Longhorns. Let's talk about A.D. Mitchell and uh, the Georgia transfer who's on campus now. Talked, we talked about it a lot of Horns 24-7. Rod, I know we talked about it on the air mm-hmm. on the Horn a lot. It was, not, it was a matter of just if he was going to go in the portal, Texas was most likely going to be the pick. Uh, he ends up visiting, ends up committing, signing on campus right now. I think what really stands out about A.D. Mitchell, and if you look at the wide receivers that Sark has recruited, the guys that he prefers, we know he likes yards after the catch. Cause, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about receivers specifically because we devoted pretty much an entire episode last week to the receiver position. But the thing that stood out to me about A.D. Mitchell is I looked at him, pulled up some PFF numbers, and just looked at him on the deep ball. Because we know Quinn Ewers last year, the deep ball was a struggle. But A.D. Mitchell, in his career at Georgia, on passes of 17 or, uh, excuse me, 20 yards or more down the field, 17 targets, eight catches, 217 yards, and five touchdowns. So that's eight catches on passes of 20-plus yards down the field, and five of those he turned into touchdowns. On contested catches on the deep ball, nine targets, five catches. That's a 56%. Uh, contested catch rate. Just to put that into perspective, Isaiah Nayer, his last year at Wyoming, was a 58% contested catch rate on deep balls. So, talk about what Isaiah Nayer could do as a deep threat. A.D. Mitchell gives you that guy that it kind of goes against the grain a little bit for what Sark likes, but you like having that 6'3", 6'4", guy that can stretch the field and go make contested catches. That's what you got with A.D. Mitchell. Yeah, he's just insurance policy uh, behind Isaiah Nayer. If he doesn't come back you know, 100% immediately or he's not the same player. And you can you can never really know if a player is going to come back as good or stronger or how much time it will take a player to come back off of a serious injury. I mean, mm-hmm. look at Troy Mary, prime example. Yep. Um, so you just don't really know. So I think they just got this young man as insurance. Before everybody gets really, really hyped and excited, remember you got three of these guys from the transfer portal last year via wide receiver, and none of them really helped you. You got Tariq Milton probably made a big play. Um, that was about it. Yeah, yeah that tech game. That, made but Isaiah point. Hall, that didn't really help you. Isaiah Nayer got hurt. That didn't help you. So it's great to have these guys come in. You need them, but you know it's going to be your, that passing game is going to be built around proving commodities first. Yep, and um, that's why I think a guy like Mitchell's perfect because you don't know about Nayer as you mentioned yeah. and how you don't, didn't want to rely on a guy like him last year transferring in the unknown because then the injury happened. The good thing about this is when you see. His role, even at that position, I mean, a lot of the times if you see a wide receiver go off the field, it's because he just ran a 50-yard sprint. And, like, you don't even have time to sprint back. We saw that at the end of the Alamo Bowl. When you're sending everybody down, it takes them 10, 15 seconds to run back. They're going to be tired and not running it. Mm-hmm. Now you can shuttle these dudes back and forth. You did the same thing when you look at the way the only time that it was basically Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and Waddle would come off the field was after one of them ran 50 yards downfield for Alabama and Sark had the embarrassment of riches and could throw the other guy in. And of all the transfers, I'd say the – the profile of a guy like A.D. Mitchell, like he's an elite receiver. He just said also had health issues. He played his whole freshman year, but last year got hurt right after the season opened. And both game, I mean, very rare to see. He's been a guy in the last two seasons. He's caught a TD pass in four consecutive playoff games, which is crazy when you think about Maybe. that on that level. So if he can just stay healthy. That'd be the big factor because I think if he's healthy, that cream will rise to the top, especially if you're hoping that Nayor can come back and be anything that he was prior to his injury. And then, like, I don't know if it's just coincidence, but I just love when you pull up the YouTube video of A.D. Mitchell in his first touchdown. He catches it from J.T. Daniels. I believe it was his first 
catch of his like or first touchdown of his freshman year and like the second he catches the ball he runs straight ahead and sitting in front of him is arch manning and he's high-fiving the guys inside the little booth i guess all the recruits arch was a junior and was in to see that georgia south carolina game and ad mitchell runs straight directly he finishes his route but runs basically into where their box is so there may be a little bit of a pre-existing relationship or rod you mentioned hosting dj on a trip well ad mitchell who knows if he had a good time with Arch that day or whatever. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, he'll, he's not teammates with Arch. And he'll see JT Daniels in the season opener when Rice comes to town. As JT <laughs> you, Daniels makes yet another stop. That would be his fifth uh, school, which would be amazing. Never college career. Uh, Quinn on the deep ball, though, guys. Man, I knew it was a struggle. I didn't realize it was this much of a struggle. Uh, according to PFF, on passes of 20 yards or more down the field, before I get into the numbers, Rod, they got about 18%, 17.6 of Quinn's attempts for 20-plus down the field. Is that about right, or you want to see that number go down in 23? Um, I think it depends on how successful your deep passes are. Yeah, I think Zoki it's, State it's game too had much for him because you're not very effective on your deep passes, so they should have been kind of you know, tailored back a little bit throughout the year. Um, if you're really good on deep passes and you got the personnel to complete deep passes, yeah, I mean, you should throw, throw a ton of them. Tom Herman loved throwing the deep ball. He's a big yeah. fan of throwing a deep ball because he, had he, had Humphrey, Colin Johnson, yeah. he built his offense around guys who can run the 50-50 balls, the deep passes. So for Sark, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not going to say it's high or low. I'm going to say just based on my eye test and based on probably the numbers you're about to give, which I don't know the numbers, but I know they're bad, it probably is a little too high. It probably should have been tailored back down to maybe a little 12% to 13%. How does uh, 16 for 52 sound? That's a 30.8% completion rate. Uh, you got four, 412 yards, three touchdowns, two picks, 16 big-time throws, five turnover-worthy plays, three drops. Yeah, and it's not just that. It's the timing of them. See, a deep pass, it's all about when the deep passes came. And for Sark, and I, like I said, I'm not going to get into the percentage on whether that's too high or too low. That's a, that's a nuanced conversation. Um, but I will say, based on the timing of some of his deep throws, he really would throw off the rhythm of his young quarterback. And my thing was like getting your young quarterback in a groove, getting him in a rhythm, which he did in the bowl game, did a really good job of that. And what did he really kind of avoid in the bowl game? Just chunking it deep a ton. It really kept him in a groove and kept him confident. And I think sometimes those deep balls, because you wouldn't connect on any of them, it would throw throw off the entire rhythm of the offense and your quarterback. Yeah, and if you look at the numbers you had mentioned, he was 16 for 52, which around the average on 20-plus, I'd say it's like I think it's 38%, and he was around 30, so a little bit below. But if you look at just take out that Okie State game when he was 1 for 9, and for an interception, which we've talked about the weather, the finger, all the things, and understanding your player and personnel, that one was odd. And then if you talk about the Alamo Bowl, the two worthy drops that would mm-hmm. be not incompletions and probably be touchdowns that you had 100 yards, not even talking about that, but you take out that Okie State game and he's 15 of 43, which is going to put you right on line with your normal completion percentage of 38% on passes down, and it'd be a – Three to one touchdown to interception ratio, and that's not if you were to say add in the drops, where the drops in that yeah. Alamo Bowl can make these numbers look drastically different. If say you catch those two, and it becomes seventeen for forty-three for five touchdowns and one pick. So to Rod's you know point, it's a very nuanced discussion and situation, and everything's play by play. But 
I'd say it's maybe a little bit overblown because his deep ball against Alabama looked like he's the best deep ball thrower in the league. And these footballs a game of one. Oh, sport they also of one a lot game of samples. man coverage too. Man yep. coverage makes it easier to throw a deep ball. Yep. You're just putting it in a spot. You got one guy to read. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're starting to play some of these two high, three high shell coverages, more like zone Oki coverages, State. he's got to read as well as throw the ball and yep. be accurate. That's a little different. We showed he's had struggles doing that. So yep. not necessarily overblown. Because going back to Sark, Sark in that Oklahoma State game, you shouldn't be throwing it nine exactly. times when yeah. you got a finger issue, you got the win, you're forcing the one ball for to nine one player, they're playing three high shells, they're taking away your best player, yep. that's on Sark, alright, yep. so I think it's, it's a little bit on both, I'm not saying it's, uh, you know, I, I don't totally disagree with you that it's overblown, but some of that is on Quinn Ewers when you yep. force him to have to read a defense, alright, and then have to throw a deep, against Bama, they decided, you know what, we ain't seen this kid, we're playing man, we, we're freaking Bama, we're playing man to man, and we're going to force this guy to have to beat us the old school way, because Nick Saban has always believed the best cover is man to man, and he went out there and he made some dime throws and put yep. the ball on the money. And then we all learned, okay, against man coverage, this guy can hurt you because they got receivers that can separate. And he can put, he can make any throw on the football field. So let's make him process. Yep. Let's make him process first, and then have to make him make the throw. And that's where he struggles to yep. process it first, and then snap. Yeah, on the snap, snap judgment, make the throw. Yeah, like that's, watch that's Joe Burrow, about. what it, Joe Burrow's that's, doing. That's tougher to do. It gets man coverage. Everybody knows. All right, I just got to put it in the spot where my man can go get it. It's his my man against his man. Against zone coverage, you're actually reading multiple defenders, processing at the same time, and then throwing a guy open to a spot. Yep, and that's, that's where a like struggle for if you look at the last two seasons for Joe Burrow, is exactly what you're talking about. What was going on at the beginning of last year? He was getting a lot of single high looks, and it became mm-hmm. just go balls to Chase and Higgins. The league adjusted. Everybody playing the shell against him. What's he doing this year? Dumping it down and yep. P Ryan and mixing like they. I mean, taking everything and understanding what the defense is giving you. And exactly to your point, you saw that growth and transformation mm-hmm. from a really good quarterback and understanding what he's seeing. And also, like you're saying, the coaching, understanding, and being able to get a player to then go out and implement what makes sense. So that's the big part where you got to get that at Texas. That was the thing I liked the most about the bowl game was I felt like it was growth for Sark and Quinn to take, the, sh- take the short and intermediate stuff. They hadn't done that all year. Agreed. And to not finally took the second and, half of like TCU, they started to throw it out to Whittington to get a bit like it took so long in that game to get to that. But it was like late third quarter. And then it, you uh, finally started doing it. Yeah. It's like we talked about in previous years. Right? Well, it sucks. It took you till game 13 to get there. But I, I, at least you exactly. got there better yeah. late than never, I guess. Well, because Sarks naturally, he's a big game hunter. Right. We talked about yeah. this psychologically. Mm-hmm. And for him, it's it, where he dials up those shots. Like I said, it's almost psychologically as debilitating for Texas not hitting it as it would be against the defense if you actually hit it mm-hmm. because he has dialed it up. Like he has basically kind of situated some of his play calls to to to, to almost force that deep ball at that moment. And force is probably the wrong word. Um, but he's, he's, he's essentially, uh, you know, dialing it up. And I'm, and I'm sure there's some – some Easter eggs that we could see that he's placed in there that you can see throughout the offense where he is suckering those those safeties and those linebackers up so he can get that deep shot. And by the way, in in the Alamo Bowl, they they were open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for his credit, they were yeah. open and they were dropped. So I'm not like I said, it's a nuanced discussion. I don't think one particular party deserves all the blame. But I think for Sark, he wants that deep shot really bad. And with this if this passing game this year is going to be like his true vision of of his offense. 
you're going to see a lot of them deep shots. He wants those deep shots. He really does. And this is something that I really liked when I looked at A.D. Mitchell's numbers because very rarely do you get a guy that's very equal in production versus zone. And, man, most of the time you're going to find one guy that's used or excels one way or the other. A.D. Mitchell last season against zone, it was 1.78 yards per route run against man it was 1.82 his a dot was 15.8 against zone and 14.9 against man then if you look to back to 2021 when he actually had you know 30 targets against zone it was 1.69 yards mm-hmm. uh, per route run against zone and 1.68 yards per route run against man he's a guy both of them he had within like a yard of his yak that season within almost a yard on his dot to where he's been able to beat both coverages and be able to get the same production. Yeah. And who knows, a lot of that can just point to system and coaching and stuff also in addition to quarterback play. But when you get a player that beats both of them and produces well, doesn't have a drastic drop-off, it makes you probably less scoutable. You know? I agree with that. Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say on on all that is, Rod, to your point about adding A.D. Mitchell, it's not where you were with Nayer last spring. This is not a put-all-your-eggs-in-one-basket plan. No. Phil, this is this is like adding – we talked about this with Tariq Milton, and that's why you know we talked about the portal additions at receiver. Tariq Milton, to me, has an asterisk mm-hmm. because well, what did I say Tariq Milton was? He was insurance for Jordan Whittington. And I said, yeah. man, if yeah. one of those guys is healthy good all point. year, then you're good. Well, okay, well, Whittington was healthy, and you didn't need to cash the insurance policy And he Tariq almost Milton. got you a win in tech with that overtime I mean, force. I love it. I really it's love crazy. Like his ADOT's 18 because of, like, one play. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, Matt mentioned the finger earlier. I'd like to give that second-half game plan against Oklahoma State the finger. I <laughs> uh, went back and looked at it. Bijan was 24 for 140 that day. Rojo was 5 for 73. Yeah. Man, that exactly. running back play is going to be And you were up tough. double digits? The place. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, yeah. But, but that, like I said, in that game, you know, that's when the deep shots inevitably come back to haunt you because I think that was some wasted possessions mm-hmm. in that game where – you know, you end up losing as a result. And we know now that should have been the beginning of the spiral, the downward spiral for Oklahoma State because it happened right after that. Yeah. They, that, was, that, was their last, that was Custer's last stand for Oklahoma State. <laughs> then they were done. They, they, <laughs> they, they, they had that game. They're like, all right, now. Forget emptying the gun. They emptied the depot. Like, they, they had nothing, <laughs> they had nothing left. They just crumbled. This was the blitzkrieg that was like, we're either going <laughs> to – this is probably it, boys. We're just going to go out in a blaze of glory. And yeah. they did. They were down like 38-0 or something against TCU. Oh. Like, the next week in the first – or K-State the next yeah. week in the first half. They did. Kansas they ran them off the field. Any team with yeah. purple or blue was just They just got them. whipped the rest of the way. Pretty much. pretty much, and half their team left. Like they literally, all yeah, they quit, going on. They quit there. playing against Texas. Like half yeah. the players weren't playing, and they've all left. And then like there was a yeah. public breakup, you know, of mutual parting of ways. When everybody disclaims, "Oh no, this was mutual." Normally, behind closed doors, something like yeah, DC Mason. Derek Mason. Yeah. yeah, I think I want to take some time off from coach. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Spencer I don't know what's Sanders. going on up there. Somebody on the inside, I have to ask around. But something's happening at Oklahoma State. Yeah, it is. I think, man, we, yeah. we talked about this. With, it seemed with, like that was happening back with the Hubbard stuff, and then it seemed like he galvanized everybody back together. And then this year, it exploded. It's easy to galvanize when you're winning games. Yep. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yep. But they're a yard away, baby. The problem, the problem, I think, though, what it boils down to, we saw it with Mac at the end here. Mm-hmm. We saw it with Gary Patterson at the end of TCU. I think you just get to a point. We've seen it with like we saw it with like Bobby Bowden at Florida State. Yep. At some point, man, the message just gets stale and it yeah. gets old, and it's just time for a change. 
I think you might be right about that because he's a damn good coach. We I, all know that. I can't think of what else it would be because I don't think Mike Gundy's that different of a guy now than he was five years ago. Also, that may be the point, though. And he's think about all the change that's happened in just the last couple of years yeah. in college football that have been, been talking about major that that are just groundbreaking, revolutionary changes in college football. We're talking about the transfer portal, and now we can't even keep up with guys' eligibility. Yeah. Apparently, the NCAA just does not give a damn anymore. You got six years to get it done. Eight? You can play six. Whatever. Exactly. That guy from <laughs> Oregon with eight. Yeah, just play as long. Exactly. Just play as long as you want to. I was like, over you go, over you go for one the portal transfer LSU. I'm like, I didn't know he had a year left. I just exactly. thought he was gone. Yeah, so there's no more loyalty at all. The transfer portal is inextricably linked to NIL. NIL also groundbreaking. And I we know that Mike Gundy does have an effort attitude about stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, he's what? abrasive. Exactly. And, up front. and I think he's willing to uh, almost die on a hill. Uh, oh, I'm yes. doing it my way. And if y'all don't like it my way, then I'm going. And he's got enough street cred and kind of at that university where mm-hmm. they're not going to fire Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy's probably going to have to resign and quit most Unless likely. He just Unless gets... he just has, yeah, the four back-to-back four-win seasons or something. And like that, I'm I don't a think person who very rarely judges a book by the cover, but Mullet Gundy is a guy that isn't that open to change. I that's think I can say that. And I think that's part of the problem, that he hasn't changed. Yes. So maybe he needs to change And he's just abrasive, a little bit. so when asked yeah. about it, it becomes an issue. Yep. No doubt. Yeah. And he's got power now. and he, like, Oh, now he's untouchable. Oh, he's ever since man. I'm a man, I'm 40, he's, he's, he's a been just walking like, around. He can, he's almost like Mac was here, like you just brought Gary up. Gary Patterson, is Bobby Bowden. He's hard to find those guys. You almost got to bring in people. Bill like, Snyder. You got to bring in people like, you know, the hatchet man here, Steve yeah. Patterson, to fire the guy. Like, <laughs> no, we got to bring you in and fire him. And it's basically what they did. Uh, they might have to do that at Oklahoma State, too. Who's going to be <sighs> the Ron Prince? <laughs> <laughs> Ron's great. That's fantastic. Oh, man. Thank you for bringing that That's one really back, well, man. Well but, like, they <laughs> lost, like, you guys realize, like, they lost Trace Ford in the portal to Oklahoma. That, Ron, be, that would be like if the portal was around when you played and you played three years at Texas, you'd be like, hey, RC, you remember uh, how I was down to Texas and Texas A&M? Yeah, I want to spend my last year in College Station. That's wild. That's a great thing to keep up with. How many uh, people have transferred to rivals? Yeah. Like, just to a direct rival. Like, Alvin Kamara. Any, have you had any Aggies <sighs> in Longhorns or any Sooners in Longhorns? Kamara did it from Alabama to Tennessee. And I know that when Casey Thompson went up there for the visit, that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy that we. But even that's the... understandable because his dad played at OU. That's so that's, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. So yeah. give him a pass for that to I'll, an extent. Yeah, you're right, dude. That, don't ha- that doesn't happen very often. No. That's almost, yeah, you're right. That's almost something you don't do. That's one of the closest things. The one of the closest things we've seen is TCU hiring Kendall Bryles. Another one of your Former teammates. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. That's crazy. Kid of I, I always had backstory. People forget he was a DB at Texas. Yeah, you think about. I just think about the the Vich, the, the Gary Patterson Art Bryles rivalry. Forget what happened at Baylor down the road, like the the sexual assault scandal. Just the vitriol that existed between those two oh, programs yeah. and those like they. Oh yeah. I hate is a strong word, but I I feel like I can say comfortably those guys hated each other. They did. Well, and if you, I, I mean, you on that. the one player yeah. I can think of is Kamara from Alabama to Tennessee, but I think he did that on purpose. He wanted to go to a rival school that he didn't like because he was so, and he be didn't honest. get the playing does, time. Does, but, does Alabama see Tennessee as a rival? No, but like, agree. Did Alvin Kamara get dismissed from Bama, though? It's a pretty big one. Well, I'm just going off the top of my head. One yeah, guy that came to mind, Bama, though, it isn't necessarily no, rivals, 
Sonny Dykes going from a private institution in Dallas to another that private was, that's institution. Kind of a, no, that's kind of Because in, inside, inside that city, city yeah. those rich guys don't like the other rich guys. <laughs> that can be said for almost every oh, yes. major old city. Southwest Conference. <laughs> those rich guys don't like the other rich oh, guys. Oh, especially if you both are old Southwest <laughs> Conference rich guys. Like, literally, uh, that's huge. That could be political commentary. I oh, love that. By the way. Rich guys don't like the other rich guys. Bill Clements was a governor, and he was doing that stuff there. Speaking of, uh, I mentioned Ovia Gofu hitting the portal, going to LSU, reuniting him with Brian Kelly, and I think that's all he's going to do there, what he did here. It's going to be establishing the culture because he knows what Brian Kelly's all yeah. about. Like but think about Ovia Gofu's career, guys. He will have ended his college football career playing at Notre Dame, Texas, and LSU. Pretty hardcore. That's insane. Yeah. No, it is. You're at, you, you play for three legitimate blue blood programs in college football. You know what JT Daniels did? Sort of uh, USC, well, Georgia, West Virginia, Rice. Right, so not, 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 the same, was close. not the same cachet. But still, close. going from one coast to the other where it's USC to Georgia, it's just in within it's itself. Yeah. Then about you the, went to the mountains, and then you went to Rice. And the rivalry games Ovia Gofu will have played in. He'll, you know, Notre Dame, USC. I don't have to go back and look at what other Notre Dame games he played in. But <laughs> Almost te- Notre Texas, Dame, Texas. Texas OU. He'll be involved in LSU-Bama. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That is true. That's real. That's pretty freaking awesome. That is pretty freaking. If awesome. you can get you several degrees along the way, more power to you. Um, I do want to look at kind of ties into Ovia Gofu a little bit. Definitely ties into Ad Mitchell. I want to look at just some roster construction, uh, if I if I may. And mm-hmm. what's intrigued me about this roster, Rod, is we as we start to see it come together for spring ball. A couple of things have really intrigued me. One thing is I know we talked about this a little bit, but. Are we, st- are we starting to see talented depth creep into this program? And the reason why I bring that up is this. I'm going to go down the list of guys that have transferred out and look at where they've gone. Hudson Card to Purdue. Jameer Johnson to Indiana. Troy O'Meary, Arizona State. Andre Carrick, Tennessee. Prince Dorba, Arizona State. Devin Richardson, Washington State. Uh, Junior Angulao to Oregon. Uh, and you've had Con- uh, Logan Parr end up at SMU. And DJ Harris end up at USF. So that's nine nine of your guys that have left your program have either gone to seven of them have gone to Power Five programs, and two of them have gone to probably what you would consider like the upper tier of the mm-hmm. group of five. Yeah. So it's not like you're just you know cutting dead weight and these guys are having to go to JUCO and search for another option. These guys are coveted by power by legitimate Power Five programs mm-hmm. on their way out the door. Are we starting to see? Is that can we take that as a positive sign that we're starting to see talented depth emerge in some position groups? Uh, well, if if not, then Sark's in trouble. Uh, he's been here long enough and stacked yeah. a couple of classes already that he's recruited. So yeah, I mean, you're talking about roster turnover at this point, you should have ninety five percent of the roster turned over. Mm-hmm. Close guys. to it, yeah. Yeah, right? with you, the you purge, be, your players yeah, and you then have the like, portal. Yeah, you should have I don't know, eight, nine, eight to ten guys on there from, you know, the old regime pretty much. You, this roster should be turned over pretty much at this point. Now, you lost your training wheels because you lost the best player on your team and the best leader on your team <laughs> in Bijan and Rojo. And, yeah, I know everybody's excited about the 10 returning starters, and that's great, but you also had them damn returning starters versus Washington, and I didn't see what I wanted to see on offense. So uh, I get it. I get the excitement. That's great, but I do need – I'm Missouri. You guys know that. Show mm-hmm. me. You got to show it to me, and you got to show me. I need to see Sark's vision for this offense, the identity of the offense, Without Bijan and without Rojo, yep. And I guess based on all the numbers, they were more than training wheels and crutches for this offense. They were the offense yes. last year. 
And if, while we're on the transfers, I got one player, Jermaine Burton, from Georgia to Alabama. Yeah. That was one that's we're talking rivals, and it was because A.D. Mitchell was taking snaps from him the season ah, before. Hey, like everybody, you, you look at the 14.3A.4 Burton, and then he saw the writing on the wall after Mitchell played all the games, and he left Bama. Um, but, yeah, getting to the roster, I totally agree. I mean, it should be – at this point, you know, you should be – I think about kind of Mac Brown's trajectory as a coach – um, had that number one class in 99. That was his second class. And Sark's not there because Mac, I don't know if Mac got it in a, such a bad place as where Sark got it from. Um, but basically, this, I, I figure Sark right now is around where that where Mac was in maybe 99 or 2000. Because 99 the was the first class for Mac. Really. That was Mac's first class. Yeah. But Mac, like I said, Mac didn't have it. He, he didn't have to pull it from the doldrums. Yes. He didn't have to pull it from Ricky, such a gutter. He had, he had We had Williams, first round. He, had, yes. he inherited first round picks. Ro- Casey Ro- Hampton, yeah. Leonard Casey, Davis, Quentin Jammer, Sean Rogers. Exactly. Oh, yeah. You should, be, you should be sending McAvig a bouquet all the damn time. For sure. You, you, how often do you inherit a Heisman Trophy winner and what, three, four first round picks? Yep. Jammer. Mike Williams. Casey Hampton. Leonard Davis. Sean Sean Rogers Rogers was a second-round pick. Come on, dog. D.D. Lewis and Marcus Wilkins (laughs) played in the league. Well, Marcus Wilkins was a Mac recruit, but D.D. Lewis played in the league for how long? Come on now. Now, I'm saying Sark didn't inherit anything. He inherited Bijan, inherited Rojo, DeMarvio, and Overshark. He inherited some really good players, but he didn't inherit that. Nope. Um, And give it up for Mac for being able to maximize that. So, like I said, I would say you're right. He's a little, you know, I think for Sark, he's a little bit further back than Mac was then 2000 he's around like 99 where mac was because mac still has some talent but you got like that old line that you recruited mm-hmm. that old line class that you recruited is supposed to be one of the best in made in in i don't know recent college football history yep and you got quinn yours well highest one of the highest ranked quarterbacks that mac wouldn't have gotten because history. he couldn't transfer back then that yeah. way and remember but mac had his it was it's chris sims yep and when i said you right around there where you got there's high-end star power everywhere but there's still some holes and there's still a lot of questions to be answered. Mm-hmm. But in terms of where he wants to be is where Mac was, and I don't know how long. It, sh- it shouldn't take you as long to get there because you've got the transfer portal these days. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And, and you got freshman, NIL. And you play, to play like, so you have exactly. to play them. So you have, you have some advantages that Mac did not have at the time. But where you want to be is right around the time I left in 0203, they were getting to the point where there are NFL players practicing against NFL players every day. It was getting like Georgia Bama is yeah. right now. It was. It, I, I saw it when I left. And I experienced it because I was going up against Roy Williams, B.J. Johnson, Sloan Thomas every day, uh, and those guys were going up against me, and they got chance to go up against Nathan Vasher and a young Huff daddy, and you know, what I mean, just NFL caliber players back and forth, and you got that. And when you start, get, they started stacking that on the lines of scrimmage on both sides, which right around the time I, I left. Yeah. That was you your 2 3 yeah. group. When games became yeah. easier and, than practice. And that's what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know where I really noticed it with you guys, though, the dynamic? I know, and I don't know if it was the late 90s, just the Reebok jerseys that made everybody mm-hmm. look slow. Team speed mm-hmm. was really where I yeah. noticed it. Yeah. Uh, you know, your senior year when it's, you know, you and Nathan Vasher and Derek Johnson. I'm like, man, this like, like I could watch you guys go head-to-head with Oklahoma and LSU. I'm like, Texas is – as fast as anybody in the country, like Miami mm-hmm. speed. The they've got they've got elite skill talent. Yeah, and like I said, I need to see because we also got Texas got to the point where losing first round talent did not decimate 
Texas. Yeah. We just talked about losing Casey Hampton. You, were, you guys exactly. were a better defense yeah, the following exactly. year. You were losing high in town. It's like, oh, yeah, wait y'all get a hold of this dude. They've been they recruited last year for Hynum. They Texas was stockpiling that type of talent. So I need to see losing Bijan, losing Rojo, um, I, which is high in town. Those guys are going to be NFL players, NFL backs. I need to see if Sark can kind of pick up the offense and it can be as good, if not better, when you lost those guys because you can develop just a new identity around the high-end talent you have. That's also part of, you know, Sark's acumen and IQ as a coach. That People get on Greg Davis a lot, but Greg Davis was really good at being able to mold the offensive identity around the talent that he had, not necessarily being stuck to a system. And I'll give Sark credit. Sark has His, his system has changed a lot, even since he got on campus mm-hmm. here at Texas. So he's malleable, too. We know yeah. that. Um you said something, Rod, that just triggered something, and I, I want to look at one of the specific recruiting classes, but one of the pitfalls that it got Mac at the end, it got Charlie, it got Tom, and, and we'll see if it gets Sark or Sark can get over the hump. But you look at these recruiting classes that basically just, just put irreplaceable holes in your talent pipeline. Mm-hmm. The 09 class, which we talked about, insanely high attrition rate, mm-hmm. between 12 and 13, insanely high attrition rates in those classes. Uh, the 2016 class where Tom Herman ran a bunch of guys off, really high attrition rates in that class. The 2019 class, which I think all you've got left pretty much now is like David Benda, Jordan Whittington, Tavondre Sweat, and I might be missing somebody mm-hmm. that are going to be fifth-year seniors, but a lot of those guys were gone after year one, year two. Uh, and now you're pretty much at that point now with this 2023 class, like as good as this class is. This class needs to be where you retain enough guys yeah. to have a good core. And we talked about it like with the portal, we probably need to rethink how we look at bust rates and attrition and things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But, but a really good example of what how to look at it, look at the 2021 class. This class has always fascinated me, not the Texas class specifically, but classes across the country because this is the group of recruits that because of the pandemic, they couldn't take visits. Mm-hmm. So a lot of kids committed to a lot of schools sight unseen. Like maybe they saw it as sophomores yeah. and didn't see it again until they enrolled on campus. Mm-hmm. That's just, that was just the nature of the beast at that point. Um, but this is what's left of that class. You've had a lot of attrition like J.D. Coffey, Ishmael Ibrahim, uh, Jameer Johnson, D.J. Harris, Jordan Thomas. But, and that's just a little bit of it. But this is what's left out of that class. Tavian Sanders, Xavier Worthy, Jaden Alexis, who hadn't played because of injuries, Jonathan Brooks, mm-hmm. Maurice Blackwell, Byron Murphy, Hayden Connor, Juan Davis, Gunnar Helm, Baron Sorrell, Casey Kane, Charles Wright, Max Merrill. With the exception of probably two or three guys, it's all contributors or starters. Yeah, yeah. Jatavian's your one guy that could be that it top tier NFL type guy. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where like when you talk about those stop gaps and you we brought brought up you know what Mac inherited and then in, through that 06 draft it was just first rounders first rounders all the way across the board and you started to see the top in NFL talent 07 draft wasn't necessarily there even though Jermichael and Jamal left early but after that that's whenever we saw Colt really be able to cover up some of those holes with guys like Shipley and Quan and being able to have an explosive offense despite not being able to visually see the drop-off, and you're able to get your defensive top-end guys like a rack post still hanging around. But then, like, after that, once that 09 class hit, it's been the same story ever since then to where that continuity, if you can get stacking of classes to where you can get that talented depth to where you can get the practice atmosphere, the top-end talent, combine all those things, that's where you can really start to see that growth as a program. And yeah. I think I think the 2020 class, too, gives you a really good idea of in, like, the modern era of recruiting what you should want to get out of a class. Because, like, you got Bijan as the head of the class. 
three years, he's off to the NFL, going to be a first-round pick. But like, look at the losses, and it's positions where the guy has most li- has more often than not been recruited over. Hudson Card at quarterback, Quentin Jackson at quarterback, Prince Dorba at edge, Xavier Alford at safety, uh, Troy O'Meary at wide receiver. His was injuries. Jalen Garth on the offensive line, Logan Parr on the offensive line, Calvante Dixon at wide receiver, Andre Carrick on the offensive line, Dejon Harrison at receiver, Jaden Hullaby, who I think is a running back. He played like four or five different positions. Sawyer Gorham Welch is still there, but he's buried on the depth chart. But look at what's left in that class, your fourth-year guys, guys that you figure, okay, you've developed this far. By the end of your third year, you're either on an NFL trajectory or you've probably been recruited over. Because very rare is like the John Harris that just comes out of nowhere and has a monster senior year when you didn't really expect it. What's left on the roster from the 2020 class? Alfred Collins, Vernon Broughton, Keaton Crawford, Jaron Thompson, Jake Majors, Jade Barron, let's scroll down here, Sawyer Gorham Welch, and Jalen Ford. Jalen Ford was the lowest rated guy in that class, by the way. All those guys are either That's they're, what you need, they're either on an that. NFL trajectory or they know their place on the depth chart. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And yeah. if you can fill out those classes where the lowest rated guy becomes Jalen Ford, that really can make your roster just explode because you know those top end guys. It's hard to miss on the five-star talent, guys. And then if you're well, getting five-star well, production. No, 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 but, but it's true. I, I agree. missing for a while. Not missing, but they were underdeveloping Agreed. guys. Agreed. So, we know. We've chronicled yes, it a ton. So. But just saying that, like, in overall overarching college football theory, like, if you're going to be able to get Jalen Ford production from the bottom end of your class, you're going to be really doing good because at least finally we're starting to get some top-end production for the first time it, in a decade. It's funny, Rod, like, I always said, like, your five-star guys, like your top 100 recruits are, like, first-round draft picks. It's really hard to screw those guys up, but we see a lot of NFL franchises, they routinely screw up their first-round pick. And Texas was screwing up a lot of five For a decade. Yeah. Since 09. Since that 09 I wanted to look at that, but the two two positions that stand out to me, that, and I know we're, we're getting ready to wrap it up, um, two positions that Sark talked about a lot from when he first got the job where the numbers were not where he wanted them to be. Wide receiver and offensive line. A wide receiver, with the addition of A.D. Mitchell on campus for spring, Jonte Cook enrolling early, and DeAndre Moore enrolling early, you got 10 scholarship wide receivers on campus for spring practice. You're going to have attrition at that position after spring. Yeah. There are going to be some guys that just don't like where they are or they see the writing on the wall or whatever. But to your point, Rod, if you're stacking talent, if you're developing talent, that should be the case. Yeah. Guys should realize, eh, yeah, you know, if I want to play, I, I got to go somewhere else. The transfer portal era, that's almost, like I said, it's more money, more problems, almost something that is, is a healthy sign of your program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really is. You're just upgrading the talent pool um, as like, much as you can. Nick Saban, exactly. Kirby Smart, they lose as as, oh. as much talent as anybody. No, exactly. Whether it's the draft or the portal, and guess what? It's just still there because yep. they develop it. Where, where I'm really excited, though, is the offensive line. Rod, you talked about it. This group has to produce. But you think about it, there's been springs where you didn't have enough scholarship offensive linemen to fill out a two-deep. If you take out Cole Hudson and Connor Robertson coming off surgery and you add Connor Stroh, Peyton Kirkland, Andre Kojo, and Jaden uh, Chapman as early enrollees, you've got 14 healthy scholarship offensive linemen on campus this spring. If you include the two injured guys, you've got 16 scholarship offensive linemen on campus this spring. Yeah, that group's got to be big this year. Yes. That, that group's got to take major. Yeah. And honestly, like I did say time and again, like they exceeded my expectations during the season, but that was the group I think I was most disappointed. I talked about what I liked about the bowl game. That group was the group I was most disappointed in in the bowl game. 
Hey, listen, when you lose B. John Robinson, who set the pro football focus record for, for forced missed tackles in the season, <laughs> and then you lose Rojo, who actually had a higher fo- forced missed tackle rate and a uh-huh. broken tackle rate than B. John over the last two years. At a record level. Yeah, no, it was unbelievable. Both of them. I think you just saw that offensive line be un- unfortunately exposed to what they were at the time. Yeah. That you saw a lot of plays what Bijan and Rojo made that probably should have been negative plays for any regular human being, yeah. right, or yeah. any average back. But those guys are far from average, and you had two at the same time to throw out there. Um, so it, it'll be a challenge for both Kyle Flood and for Sark to have a running game that is potent this year without those training wheels because that's, yeah. I ain't going to lie, it's easy to call plays with Bijan and Rojo mm-hmm. on your team. Yep. You know, they'll make you right when you're wrong. Exactly. Yeah, the Cowboys <laughs> saw it with uh, Tony Pollard was the same guy for them. Yeah. It was the highest yards after contact per yep. rush in the entire down. league, and the Cowboys line was finally down at times because of injuries this year, but he was able to cover it up. It's a great example. Uh, real quick, I'll end with this. Whichever one of you guys wants to take in, this is where we'll pick up the conversation next week. We've seen Texas add, you've addressed wide, through the portal, you've addressed wide receiver, uh, you've addressed safety, mm-hmm. you've addressed special teams, you've addressed corner. Is there any other position group that you look at and say, post-spring, I think they're definitely going to need to look at this in the portal? Because I know one that jumps off the page to me right now. Mm, that's good. Um, I guess you look at the linebacker position. Off-ball linebacker was number two for me. I think edge. Because this is this is your depth at edge right now, this spring. Baron Sorrell, Justice Finkley, Ethan Burt, Jamon Tapp, Colton Vosick. And on a per-snap basis, Demarion Overshone was, like, top three in the country at getting pressure. He wasn't asked to do it a ton, but when he had to do that for this team because they didn't have necessarily that top-end guy, they got good production from it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It's hard to find those guys in the portal that are high-end guys. It makes me think they really like what they got now because they're Gofu. Why would he leave if he would see the writing on the wall? Or at least he thinks those guys are good. Typically, typically the the standout edges you're looking for is going to be like what Florida State got with Jared versus going to be that FCS guy Mm -hmm. that's looking for more exposure. Yeah. Probably more like I mean, if unless you're a young guy, if it's a veteran power five edge guy, you're probably going to get what you got with like Ovia Gofu and Ray Thornton. You get a guy that's serviceable, that's fine, but you're not going to get uh, you know, a superstar, you're not going to get a game changer. But I do part of me feels like okay, maybe the staff did feel like this was this was the gap year where it's like, look, just get those Justice Finkley and Ethan Burke and tap, like get their feet wet a little bit, and then this spring, hope one or two of those guys really takes off. Yeah, no, I could see that. I mean, you you got you got a lot of potential there uh, at that position, and it ain't worth a damn right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, they, they aren't they aren't proven. Um, but based on the guys you have coming back inside uh-huh. and all the different combinations they could play up front, depending on the matchup they oh. have week to week, I I actually think they're going to be okay because they really the, the fact that they got. You know, four or five proven commodities coming back on the inside helps them out. Oh, yeah, and nowadays inside. Coburn, but they're still, man, that's how deep they were. Sweat, Sweat, Collins, Murphy, Broughton, (laughs) and then you've got Aaron Bryant, Chris Ross, Zach Swanson, Jeray Bledsoe, and Sadir Mitchell. You've got nine interior D-line. Yep, and you've got four that I think could start at a lot of places. And in the modern game, like, the way that quarterbacks get the ball out so fast nowadays, that interior pass rush is almost more valuable than the edge because it gets there quicker and can be be just as impactful in the way we've seen Bo Davis get production in this platooning aspect across 
the entire defensive line more as a unit than specifically mm-hmm. one player. I think that that's something that we can really hope that he's been coaching up that position. Hopefully, he continues to. I'll, you know what though? I will give uh, I'll give the Tom Herman regime credit because. They went in early on, like a guy like Tavondre Sweat, who didn't have, I think he might have had, maybe Alabama had one of those quote-unquote offers where it's an offer to come to campus this summer and we'll see if you're worthy of an actual offer. Uh, but they went, in early on, good. they went in early on Tavondre Sweat. Uh, they made Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton priorities. They flipped Byron Murphy. They brought Ojemo and Coburn to campus. Yep. I mean, that, that staff, in terms of interior D-line, they, they did some work, re- sure. re- at least identifying the right yeah. guys. Bo Davis has got to develop. Man, to your point, though, Rod, if you're going to neglect edge in the portal the rest of the way, 95, man, it's Alfred Collins. Alfred Collins has to take – time is now. He's got to take this now or never. you got to take that step now. Been waiting on him. Been waiting. And their flashes, man, we've seen flashes. But mm-hmm. for a guy with that that size and those raw materials, mm-hmm. man, they, they need him to be a war daddy. And he's just not that. He's, I'm not saying he's a bad player, not at all. But that's a guy that's got the type of, uh, you know, Im- immeasurables that yes. could be first round worthy measurables. He needs to have it. Jones' prototype yes. body and athleticism is what his frame looks yeah. like. He just hasn't put it into those things. Alfred Collins needs to have a twenty twenty three like Henry Melton had a two thousand eight. Oh, I like that. I like that. That would be awesome because man. you had a Ragpo and Kendall. It, it was gravy getting what you got from him, but Henry Melton, you're like, dude, he's gonna be. In. I think we all watched that 08 season unfold, right, like, dude? Henry Melton's gonna be an NFL player. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, they it and allowed him because they had so much attention paid to the edges. It really allowed him to just kind of dominate inside. And, well, and then Lamar Houston was multiple on the line. Yeah, to, they, you can move those in and out, like to the yeah. point that they did it with all the players other than Arakpo on that line. It's crazy. This is when probably your most. This is your most versatile defensive line these last two years, twenty two and twenty three. It's the most versatile front you'll have since then. Because think about the guys: Sweat, all Collins. These, we need to get them Mac Brown former running backs. Really, with <laughs> with Sweat, with Sweat, Collins, Sorrell. Uh, I'll even throw Jeray Bledsoe in there. That's four guys right there that you know can play multiple shades and you can do different things with and you can be really versatile with your fronts. So we'll pick that up next week, look at some other position groups, and we'll have Senior Bowl to talk about at that point. So see how Roshan Johnson and DeMarvin Overshone do at the Senior Bowl. Draft talk is already starting. Mm -hmm. So so we get ready to wrap this up and uh, head into the offseason. Even though offseason does not exist here on Longhorn Blitz, we're up to all football all the time. Right. Never a dull moment. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, be appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049-1019 AM1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you get Rod B each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie with Mike Harge from 3 to 7. Shame this plug. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. 
No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You can also uh, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Horns 24-7. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button. You get every episode of the Blitz when it drops on Tuesdays. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.